0: I'm Casada Bowman. Today, my guests are Jeff Miller and Yoni Lang, chefs and co-owners of Rosella, a sushi restaurant in the East Village. They join us from New York. Jeff and Yoni opened Rosella last fall. Their teams focused on using local products and utilizing every ounce of an ingredient from start to finish, all with the intention of minimizing food waste. We're going to talk about that, opening a restaurant during a pandemic. And what New York City is like these days. So I'll start by asking, as we always do, starting with Jeff, then going to Yoni, have you eaten yet? And if you have, what did you eat today?
1: Uh, I I have eaten. I ate, uh, are you guys familiar with Daily Provisions? No. It is Danny Meyer's um, bakery cafe concept. It's great. Um, I had avocado toast add smoked salmon.
0: Nice. Um
1: it's it's delicious. So really Wait, good option.
0: I just want to interrupt because that's awesome. I thought Danny Meyer, for some reason I thought I read that he closed all of his spots. So they're still open.
1: I don't know how many of his spots are still open. Shake Shake Shack's still going strong. For sure. Um, <laughs> but daily daily provisions, I believe there are two locations. Uh the nearest one to us is at Union Square. Nice. Um a great chicken salad sandwich. Um a lot of just like very very good basic food. You can also order things like uh a uh, a pre-made lasagna for four. Um it's very much like a a pantry that delivers to you.
0: Very cool. And you, Yoni?
2: I did. I have eaten today a rare a rare day of eating breakfast for me uh being Uh, My girlfriend's birthday today. She requested CMB, which is right down the street. It's uh, a restaurant that Jeff introduced me to uh, a couple years back. Um, We've gotten to know the the owner really well, Ali Sahin. Um, Serves uh, Turkish breakfast-style food. And pastries are amazing. This bread is awesome. Uh, So we had some chill beer this morning. um, And... Uh, I've been since I moved to New York. I've been on the search for my favorite uh, Philly cheesesteak, and I noticed they had one on the menu, and I never tried it. So, had a, an interesting breakfast this morning of Philly cheesesteaks. You cheese can't you <laughs> and can't chill say, beer. You can't say
1: chill beer without without explaining what it is.
2: Chill beer it, for you know if you don't know is uh, a Turkish uh, breakfast that is poached eggs, uh, garlic yogurt, and chili butter, and it's one of it, it maybe doesn't sound extremely appetizing to some, but it's one of those, you kind of have to taste it uh, and it's pretty magical stuff. Did you get a side of potatoes? I did get a side of their, their hash potatoes, which uh, also what Jeff introduced me to. Um, I'm very and they're very kind of like the, kind of like the neighborhood beacon of, of light and hope around the Tompkins square park. It's uh, kind of where everyone in the morning goes and hangs out and, Socially distanced as well, drinking coffee and eating you know, chocolate baguettes and whatnot. It's pretty amazing.
0: Did you take it to go or did you eat outside?
2: I did. I, I took it to go. We're uh, we're waiting on some birthday gifts to still show up. So I uh, told Liz to stay in bed, stay warm. It, start, it just started snowing this morning here. So
1: um, but, uh, I took it to go. I, I know it's Liz's birthday, but what are you guys doing for Australia Day? I'm I'm sorry. I'm going to, I I don't want to take us on a detour of nonsense, but it is Australia day.
2: Getting Rosella to go later, I guess.
0: (laughs) Is Liz from Australia?
2: She is not. She is not from Australia. East Texas.
0: All (laughs) (laughs) All right. So guys, uh, let's go and jump right in, um, and turn to your restaurant, Rosella. Um, so oftentimes we hear the word "sustainability." when I was researching you guys, that often came up. Um, in the restaurant industry, we hear it so often, and you know, even now I feel like some customers say, "Oh, okay, they're doing something good, cool, sustainable, awesome." And perhaps that customer doesn't even fully understand what the restaurant is actually doing, because the term is used so much. So today I just want to break down the concept to its simplest form, to educate our listeners and myself even further, while also introducing them to Rosella. My restaurant and home is on the North Fork of Long Island, where, you know, we are surrounded by water. We've got the Peconic Bay and Long Island Sound. We're right in between. And my husband is a chef, also does a lot of saltwater fly fishing. So for him, it's not about keeping fish anymore. It's about sustaining the striped bass fishery. And that's by using catch and release methods. So he's trying to do his small part in the conservation of striped bass. In the past decade, he's seen the stock of breeding fish decline. So I really appreciate how you are sourcing fish for your menu. And I'm just going to break down what I think of sustainability and then open it up to you guys. So when I think of sustainability in terms of a restaurant, I think... If there's a species that is being depleted, let's talk about fish, you know, it's not going to go on your menu or fish often discarded. You know, we say trash fish or garbage fish, fish that there's an abundance of, it's going to be used on that menu. For example, out here, when I go fishing, I'm usually catching a whole lot of sea robin and porgy. And, you know, they're they're like literally see Robin, they bark, like it's a joke. You know, they're like, it's like, it's a trash fish. People don't really put that on a menu. People don't really eat that, but it's actually really tasty. Um, Sustainability for me also means minimizing waste. So using every single part of that fish. So I'd love for you to educate me and the listeners even further about what sustainability means to you both, and how that translates to each plate at Rosella. And we'll start with Yoni for this one.
2: Yeah, so first off, all that fishing sounds really amazing. Uh, that fly fishing, that's no joke. Um, happy to hear that the porgies are uh, a big a big uh, catch for you. We, we serve a lot of porgy at the restaurant. Um, and I'll let Jeff dive more into the fish aspect uh, and a little background in that when we when we had decided years ago to open a restaurant, uh, we didn't really know where, when uh, we did want to go down two separate paths, so to speak, of educating ourselves, but gaining as much experience in a little bit more um, specialized niche. Areas that we could focus on. So Jeff really focused on fish, the sustainability of, you know, everything that has to do with local product. You know, when he was at Mayanoke uh, the past few years, he used over 90 different species of fish. Um, He really dove very deep into that. While I focused on uh, preservation, gardening, uh, cooking, um, all those types of things that we could tie together at the end of, of this Road and or, and also start line so to speak, um, to opening a restaurant, and then we'd kind of be off on a, a a better foot. So at the I guess the most rudimentary way of if you're going to start kind of from the base of what sustainability is for us, uh, if you're to one take a something simple like a strawberry, which is something we featured a lot this year on our menu, uh, getting summer strawberries. Uh, for example, we would. Cut the tops off uh, and pickle the strawberries with uh, vinegar that we would make, and then have strawberries for. We're actually almost out of strawberries now that we've uh, we've been selling so many of them, which is great. But we can sell those summer products during the the winter, and you know, kind of get a little bit of a taste of the summer again. Um, and with the tops. But then we can make a vinegar out of it and then use that for dishes, putting it on a crudo, making a vinaigrette, pickling other vegetables or fruits with it. Uh, so nothing goes in the trash. And that, at its most rudimentary, I guess, is form of sustainability, uh, really branches into attempting to be sustainable, not just in the, you know, making sure that you're buying local and doing the best things for the environment, but then your business is also s- sustainable. So the less stuff that goes in the trash can, as you know, you, you want to do the product, the most respect possible as you, you know, growing stuff and, you know, you really want to take care of it and use everything that you can. So any bit that's going in the trash is, is, uh, not something that we're interested in doing. And, uh, we've really just made sure everything is used. Everything is utilized. Uh, if we can't utilize it on a plate, then we can compost it. Um, you know, there's, there's so many different ways to be sustainable, uh, that also just go to helping your restaurant, um, your business model. And, and especially now with pandemic going on, that's more important than ever. You know, you can't, you can't throw 20% of your product in the trash and, uh, you know, it's just. One, it's just not, you know, we, we can't waste that much food now. Um, And as a small business, you know, we got to be much smarter than that. And uh, that's definitely the, the area we've been pushing the most is um, trying to get through this winter and uh, making sure that we can come out on the other side in the best, best position possible.
0: And Jeff?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, he said a lot of good things. Um, I... I can only add to that from a from the standpoint of seafood, which has been my my focus, sustainable seafood has been uh, the undercurrent of of the food that I make since 2016, 2017. Um, so Yoni and I came up in in the sorts of sushi restaurants um, that pride themselves in sourcing the best Japanese fish. Uh, and it was a great way to come up. We had some amazing teachers along the way, and and learned uh, learned things that are indispensable to us now. But um, but it, if you were interested in sustainability, that approach is incompatible um, for for a number of reasons. Well, let's let's start with the positive. If you're sourcing fish from U.S. waters, it's very easy to uh, to build a menu of sustainable seafood, because the the U.S. regulations um, U.S. Reg- fishing regulations are are so good and so thorough that there's not a lot that slips through. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of overfished fish that you can, that reaches the market. There are certainly exceptions and, and times when when maybe. Regulations are slow to take effect, but but yeah, if if you're if you're building a, a menu of U.S. caught seafood, you're already off to a good start. You should if you're if you're doing that, you should still educate yourself thoroughly. And there are very easy ways to do that. Uh, NOAA, what NOAA is our primary um, resource for for all that, and also the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. They have very thorough lists of. Of species and catch methods and farm methods and so yeah breaking away from being dependent on japanese fish um on imported fish uh, and also learning learning what's abundant and available here you mentioned that in the in the intro the the amount of abundant seafood It, it gets pretty simple if you start to if you start to think about building building a menu based on what there's plenty of there i'm actually this is sort of a coincidence. I just wear it all the time. There's a bluefish on my, on my uh, sweatshirt. Bluefish. Uh, I, I think bluefish is, if I can speak for the restaurant, I think bluefish is our favorite fish at, at Rosella. Are you familiar? Have you had much bluefish?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Um, what I'm I'm curious to know what, what you, what you think of as the reputation for bluefish.
0: Well, I think that the, the smell of bluefish sometimes deters people, you know, um, right off the bat. Like if it's like a smoked bluefish, you know, sometimes it's just not, it's got a a fishy smell for some people. You know, I think sometimes that deters people, but it's got a really great flavor, a very deep flavor.
1: I, yes, absolutely. I think um, in some ways it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that the the reputation of bluefish is that it is I- inferior in some ways. It's like a fishy fish. Uh, and so it, it gets treated accordingly. It gets treated by um, some fishermen and then um, seafood purveyors as like a second-class fish. If you can find, uh, and this is just one example, but it, there are so many examples like it. If you can find a supplier of bluefish that respects it, and and the it, they're getting it from from fishermen who also do. Um, you're not gonna if it's fresh. It's, you're not gonna have any any smell. It's not gonna be in any way a lesser fish. Um, and I'm I'm not joking when I say it's our favorite fish in the restaurant. It is also I would say consistently the best received f- from our guests. Um, there's from a from a well handled bluefish in season. So you know from. Like, fall to winter when they get very fatty. There's nothing fishy about it. Um, it It is such a good sushi fish. It's such a good fish to eat raw or cooked. Um, so that's that's just one example, and it would take up the rest of the show to go through all of our examples. But um, if you learn to embrace what's available and abundant, that's, I think, the first and biggest and easiest step toward, toward being sustainable.
0: Totally. And when you're following, like you said, when you're, when you're following the seasons, whether it comes produce or fish or anything, it's going to be the freshest, least amount of distance to your restaurant from the suppliers, from the sea, from wherever you're going to taste that. So it's like doing the work for you.
1: Absolutely. If you're, if you're in, if you're in New York city and most still most sushi restaurants here and around the country import fish. Uh, You know, if if you're getting a fish from ship from Tokyo, how many more days does it take to receive that fish in in New York compared with um, a fluke that was caught on Long Island?
0: Yeah. Even with the best purveyors. I mean, my husband, before he owned our restaurant, he worked in lots of restaurants in the city. And, you know, you've got huge budgets and they're flying the fish overnight from Hawaii or wherever. But still, when you compare it to fish that's 30 miles away, you know? I mean, my, my husband's friend was catching fish from New Jersey, from the waters of Jersey. You could see the city, the skyline right there. And he brought us a beautiful tuna, bluefin tuna. And this was late November. Like it's, it's amazing. What's right near Manhattan.
1: All right. So I have to, I have to bring up one more example then. Um, and also explain how good it can be for business as well. And I, I, to some extent, I'm about to give away a secret, but I'm okay with that. You mentioned porgy. Porgy is um, so TJ is our third partner. Porgy, I know, is his favorite fish. It represents all the good things about. He's he's a New Yorker. It's it's very much like a, a New York fish to him. Porgy has a similar, if for different reasons, reputation as as bluefish um, from from my experience. You hear it called trash fish, and and that, which to me is a, a nonsense term. Fish is fish. Uh, how how you how you treat it can determine whether or not it's a trash fish. But okay, so porgy, we're we're paying two ninety nine a pound for porgy, which is a fish that is again both it's good both raw and cooked. It's fantastic sushi this time of year. They're very very fatty. Um, it's this beautiful fatty white fish. Um, two ninety nine a pound. Porgy is a bream. It is uh, fairly closely related to a Japanese fish called marai, which is one of the most prized sushi fish in Japan. And you can go to most nicer sushi restaurants in this country and find it on the menu. Yoni, do you remember how much we were paying for marai when we were, when we were still using Japanese fish?
2: Um, and it ranged anywhere from 13 to 18 a pound. And then for some of the more specialty, if you'd get yeah, if you're getting, like, a the, wild or hierarchy, Yeah. You know, you're, it only goes up from there.
1: Yeah. Um, if you're just from a business perspective, if you're, if you're running a restaurant and you can get a local fish of great quality, um, that's interesting and interesting to talk about for three bucks a pound, or you can get its Japanese counterpart for, you know, let's say 15 bucks a pound. Flown over. Um, yeah. What's, what's the question?
0: Right. Have you guys been out to long Island?
2: Me personally, no, not yet.
0: Well, I invite you guys come out for a day or spend a night at our house. But in May, we're very messy. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, we're all in the industry. Chefs, my husband will love taking you guys out because literally you can go right down the street and we'll take you to the beach. And everyone from the city, like you mentioned, um, who's your other partner?
1: TJ Provenzano.
0: TJ so you mentioned that he's a fan of Porgy you know he's a New Yorker it is a really New York fish and everyone from the city comes out here in droves starting in May and there will be massive lines just people fishing along the sand it's it's a beautiful sight but that's amazing yeah just to see it and experience it and it's all for just porgy at that time of the year it's really it's cool beautiful thing uh, yeah
2: all right we got our we have our plan yeah
0: our come spring out. summer plan. And you guys are like us, like we're off during the week, we're working weekends, so we don't have to mess around with those crowds, you know? Yeah,
1: it's a beautiful, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing about those restaurant hours.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so I'm gonna go into um, more about your restaurant, but the concept of opening it. So I'm gonna talk about right now, the positivity rate for COVID. It's, you know, hovering around 10% as of this week. Um, I'm not sure of where exactly was the percentage last spring, but last spring we were really going through it in the city all over, you know, New York state. Yeah. Um, New, York, New
1: York city was the, the epicenter for the entire world.
0: Yeah. I mean, we were basically like, we're Los Angeles is now. It's like, it was dire. Um, and you guys originally planned on opening last spring. So instead you opened in the fall Um, And you opened before limited indoor dining was shut down and while the weather was still mild for outdoor dining. So I want to kind of talk about Rosella, the meaning behind it. Tell me about the meaning of the name. This was a few years in the making. You both clearly had a vision, also at TJ as well, I'm sure. And you followed your passion. While planning? So I want you to take us back on that journey and share what it was like to open a restaurant during a pandemic. Um, this time we'll start with Jeff.
1: Well, there's, there's so many, so many subjects. What do you want me to start with?
0: Um, let's, let's talk about, you guys touched on how you kind of like in the last question, how you have been planning this for some time. Let's talk about, Planning it and then go right into what it was like to actually kind of hold off an opening and then opening during a pandemic.
1: I, I think planning it was far less enjoyable than actually opening, despite despite the circumstances. Planning being like the the practice of something that's almost purely theoretical. It's great. It's great for, to have to have the conversations about you know what we want to do and what we want our menus to look like. But we, you know, Yoni and I had been having those conversations for years. So by the time it actually got to the point of where well, we we have the space, we have a concept. That waiting period was we made the most of it, but it was it was frustrating because it's you know, we were at the starting line and we couldn't start. But yeah, we, we got there, and um, I don't know that you ever hear of a restaurant in even in normal times opening when it's scheduled to open. So par par for the course, I suppose. But uh. Open, opening. It was cer- certainly not uh, ideal circumstances. In some ways, we think of this as like an, an extended soft opening, like a, a year long soft opening. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't budget for this, but here we are. Once once we got in there, and and you're you you're right. We we still had the opportunity to to do indoor dining. And when when we were when we were able to have guests in the restaurant at the sushi bar doing tasting menus, and also so that the Rosella is designed sort of as a split concept. There's a, a wine bar with an a la carte sushi menu. There's a sushi bar, uh, a six-seat sushi bar designed to designed for tasting menus. And those two bars face each other. So if you're sitting at one, you're looking at the other. Um, so when we were able to have guests uh, ordering from the wine bar, ordering a la carte, and also doing the tasting menu at the sushi bar, that was... Uh, for, for me, anyway, that was that was so far the peak when when you're able to see your your concept in action um, and it works. But now we're down to three tables outside and it's 25 degrees.
0: You know what, though? It's it's also this wild time to open and yeah, there are restrictions, but it's also kind of like the wild, wild west where you can also kind of. Uh, who knows? I mean, you weren't anticipating this space to have this outdoor space, uh, dining space that you can now keep up indefinitely. Right.
1: There, there, There will be positives on the other side of this. Definitely. Yeah.
0: So Yoni, I'll ask the same of you. What, what's your version or what are your thoughts that come to mind when I say planning this restaurant, holding off in the spring, instead opening during a pandemic in the fall?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> definitely not what you ever expect uh, after going down the, the road that you have to go down to put yourself in the position to open a restaurant. You know, it's generally something like that. I feel if you really go full speed, all out, trying to put yourself in that position, a, a decade is a good timeline of, you know, start to when you get there. And that, that timeline is held true for me. And uh, so as Jeff said, it was frustrating when you get to that start line and you, you can't start. It felt like we also felt like we were getting to the the finish line and we couldn't cross the finish line. Um, I guess those, those two run in tandem a bit when you're you're trying to open a restaurant, the team being the most important thing, in my opinion, that we kept the concept small and, the team's small. There's five of us total working there, and wanted to really become a part of the neighborhood and and do something where we could solidify ourselves in this neighborhood and just become a part of the amazing things that are going on there. And you know that I think that still has to be the light at the end of the tunnel with where we are now. Uh, me and Liz, my girlfriend, moved here from Texas uh, right almost the day after construction started at our restaurant. So getting dialed in mentally and emotionally to a new city during a pandemic while you're trying to open a restaurant, I feel is paramount that we did it with people who were as supportive as they were, TJ, Jeff, and, and Shay being the other three members um, that all work under, that work at Rosella. Uh, it's it's a roller coaster. It's There's some beautiful highs and some, some lows that you learn from. And, you know, it's just, it's keeping your head down and, and staying conscious of what's going on around you at the same time and, and trying to be there for not just finding balance, as you know, you know, having a restaurant and doing all the extra stuff on the side, balance is so important. And, you know, we, we want to be here for a while, for as long as we can be here. And, um, you know, finding that mental balance first off, I think, is the most important part of just longevity in this business. And it's, you know, being able to support each other in the way that we have is, is, I think, been the most important and the the most meaningful part of this whole experience opening a restaurant. You know, being able to make our our own food and be our own bosses, so to speak, is kind of that. End goal that I think a lot of people want to get to, and and then once you get there, you're you're met with a whole other set of of things to focus on. Um, so it's it continues to be this really amazing experience that I I, I wouldn't change anything. Uh, obviously, the pandemic. If I could change that, that would be great. Uh, indoor dining would be great. Um, safe indoor dining, rather. But it, it's you know you do what you can. Uh, day after day, you put one foot in front of the other and that's all you can really do you know and
0: uh, I, I think that you guys kind of um you kind of fast forwarded like like I've had my restaurant for five years and it's almost like you guys are learning a bunch of shit in a short period of time like you're on fast forward because you have like you have the small team right now and you're bonding on a level that I don't even think you fully realize, like you're working during a pandemic, you know, and you're launching a restaurant. It's, it's, it's a lot of big energy. And that's really cool. It's super bonding, even if you don't realize it fully. And also the whole like launching a restaurant on a budget in, within a very small team It's like what we're all, we all went backwards. We all, or we actually all went forwards. We went from big teams down to small teams. Like you guys are already starting there. So it's almost like you're ahead of the game. You know
1: what I I mean? I I, I have, I actually haven't thought of this in, in a little bit, but especially early on, I felt grateful that we had the opportunity to see what was going on around us before we opened, as opposed to having scaled all the way up and then had to come to a halt and then figure it out. A
0: thousand percent.
1: Uh, didn't we didn't have to let anyone go or anything like that. And um the, the pain, just the pain of that alone I think would be would be real tough. That, For
2: sure. that that was the the goal from the beginning was in that ethos of sustainability, which you know was to create a a restaurant where, you know, we didn't have fifty people on staff. You know, we that that's not the the end goal that we wanted you know and uh that idea of sustainability didn't didn't make sense to us having a restaurant that big um and also you know factoring in waste and and whatnot um but you know we we wanted to keep it small from the from the get-go really specifically for that reason um and it luckily that's helped us out a lot once you know the closure started
0: And I think that's where we're going moving forward. I think everything, no matter what, has been disrupted and changed. And you guys were entering it during that change, which is really cool. Instead of us who had a business before having to be like, ooh, we have to rethink all of this, you know? You could design it from the get-go and open. And it's only going to go up from here for you guys because you're going to get indoor dining and you're going to, you know, everything's going to reopen. So
1: at some point, every day it comes up, man, what's we're we're going to be doing so well when, when this and this and this happen? um, we, we will eventually.
2: Yeah. A lot of what ifs.
0: So let's talk about New York city. And I know that Yoni, you just, you know, you're a new New Yorker, but, um, the amount of tourists for traffic, obviously down in New York City compared to pre-pandemic life. Um, vaccines slowly rolling out now. For some, you know, some people, they can only cook so much before they want to leave their apartment. Uh, they want to change the scenery. We're actually getting a lot of them. A lot of our clientele are people who had second homes out here who have now relocated for the next two years permanently. Or a ton of people on the weekends who are dying to dine indoors will come out, you know, book reservations and come out for the day or the weekend. Um, So I get kind of the headspace of where people are at. Um, People need a change of scenery. And, of course, being social and cautious all at the same time. It's so nice to sit down and be served a meal and experience that sense of normalcy. And also now, you know, those customers know that they're helping to keep a business afloat during this difficult time. So this is a two-part question. Personally, how do you feel New York City has changed when you are walking down the street yourself these days? And also tell us what you are seeing at Rosella. Any trends when it comes to outdoor dining versus takeout versus delivery, for example, are customers actually dining outside when temperatures dip below freezing? Are they bringing hand warmers, hot water bottles, things like that? So we'll start with Yoni this time.
2: Uh, as you said, being a, a new New Yorker, uh, Jeff is definitely uh, has more experience on seeing what what it's like. That being said, you know, having visited New York for years and plenty of times uh, throughout the years to do pop ups and dinners with Jeff and whatnot, you know, that's what made me fall in love with the city was it never went to sleep and, uh, there was always something to do. And even when, you know, Jeff and I were working out in San Francisco, we saw a huge dip off in business right around 11 o'clock at night in San Francisco, you know, bark closes at 12 people, a lot of people living in, you know, outside of San Francisco are heading out. They don't have cars. So you'd really see a huge business drop off around that time. So, you know, working in the industry, you want it to be late and busy and um, as much as you can through those hours that you're open. So seeing that in New York and that you can, you know, the how much there was and how diverse it was and you can get the best of almost anything that you could think of in New York uh, really made me fall in love with the city. And, and you know, I initially thought it was crazy to (laughs) open a restaurant here and still from time to time think that, (laughs) but you know, it's, it is the place to be. And, um, so I'm excited and looking forward to seeing that life come back. I think the neighborhood that we're in over in East village, uh, right by Tompkins square park, you know, we're next to some really amazing restaurants and the trends we're seeing are not as cut and dry as you'd maybe think, uh, we're definitely seeing up and downs in to-go. Sometimes it's crazy, sometimes it's non-existent. Uh, and you know, dealing with to-go companies is, is always uh, fun, especially for our partner, TJ, who spends a large amount of time on the phone <laughs> trying to sort that stuff out. But we're seeing people come out and fill our patio up when it's 25 degrees, and sometimes not at all. And
1: that they, they often don't realize just how cold they're going to be. Like, <laughs> yeah. So we, we push that food out pretty fast.
2: Yeah. And you know, we that that's very true. We we are very lucky to also be in a neighborhood where people are absolutely adamant about trying the new things in the neighborhood or supporting local businesses. Uh we see it all the time with uh a lot of Instagram accounts going around to businesses and just trying to drum up businesses business for small you know not just restaurants but you know uh stamp shops uh just anything you could think of uh you know this neighborhood's really really come together to kind of get out of this in the best situation possible um so we have we have seen just a huge amount of support from people that have been dining with Jeff for years uh a lot who I was able to meet when we started doing pop-ups and trying to really kind of solidify our concept for Rosella um and these people have, you know, we have the most amazing guests that come back and back and, and uh, who are friends you know, become friends that we hang out with on our days off. And it's incredible. I, I I couldn't be happier being where we are. And that's, you know, uh, makes me feel like we,
1: we made the right choice where we are.
0: Anything to add, Jeff?
1: It sounds kind of gloomy, but just the, the sense of being in, in New York City right now compared with um, a year ago is that the I won't say the fire's gone out, but we're down to the embers in terms of the the energy that that you feel walking around. Um, which without that, what is New York? You know, without the, the the all of a sudden like the the buildings start to seem um, not out of place, but if if you if you take away the the fire and the engine of of the city, what's what's left. So it's it feels like we're occupying a shell for the time being.
0: I don't think that's gloomy at all. I think it was beautifully stated. I mean my husband feels the same way. He won't go into the city with me right now. He's like, I can't tell you. I you know, I go in for appointments and stuff and he's like, nah, I'm I'm not down. Like I took him one time in October and he was like, dude, I'm bummed out. These yeah, aren't the, these aren't the streets that I know. You the know? things
1: that you that you take for granted or just assume are always going to be a part of a part of life, like the the sounds of traffic and the sounds of people. And the I, I think I for for a number of reasons, probably I drink a lot more coffee these days. But part of it is that ha- losing that the the energy that the city otherwise provides it's a it's an addictive and powerful thing, but it's it's mostly absent.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's I I like I like that realness that you're bringing because you know, people listen to the show from all around and if you haven't been to the city, it's not what you remember. It it has changed. The entire ecosystem has changed.
1: The number of closed businesses, not just restaurants, but I I believe that in some amount of time it will thrive again um but for the time being it isn't thank god there's still so many people here and and we have so many friends you know there there are real business opportunities here that you just have to get more creative um and think constantly think it's it's no use to to dwell on what isn't there's so much that still is it still exists and there's so many people who are still hungry you just have to find a way to feed them
0: mm-hmm. Totally. And to keep in mind, this is the ebb and flow of life. I mean, the city has been here before. Look back on history. Like what's going to come next is what you said, like you've got to get creative and the people are there. The energy is there. The spark will come back and you guys will already be up and running and you've already held down your neighborhood during this period. So really cool what you guys are doing.
1: One of the, Um, fortunate things for all of us what we all everyone everyone in rosella the entire team we all just happen to be pretty happy people so that makes that makes every day a lot easier um and it's also part of the reason that we all wound up together just you sort of stick with people of of your kind um uh, that sounded really tribal (laughs) um one of one, one of one of the one of the reasons that we all work well together is because we're we're happy and we're, we look for opportunities rather than opportunities to complain. So, just personally and and for the restaurant, it's important to to recognize reality and and we do, but that doesn't mean that we're not having a good time. We have a a very good time.
0: Yeah. Well, so Yoni and Jeff, we're at the end here. So I want to thank you for sharing your story with us. And I always like ending the podcast by asking if there's any takeaway that you'd like to leave with listeners that can positively influence their lives. It could be something that we just discussed, a pro tip or general life advice that you live by. We'll start with Jeff.
1: The more I've embraced the mindset of appreciating what is, um, Right, right now, more so than any time in my life that I can think of, it's very easy to look at what isn't, what's been taken away, um, for so many reasons. You can spend a lot of energy on that. If you, if you fill your mind with, with those ideas, with those thoughts, it's gonna, you're not gonna be a happy person. I'm not, I'm not gonna be. Um, but recognizing what, what exists, what opportunities still exist, who's, who's still in your life, and what you can achieve if you if you think that way for for me thinking that way's been really powerful i think i would be a pretty especially right now if i didn't if i hadn't embraced that way of thinking i would be a pretty miserable person
0: and that's not something simple like um every year that i get older i realize oh shit like most people actually don't think like that like i'm glad that you're saying it cuz not everyone gets that so it's, it's not, don't take it lightly. What
1: I, I, wa- I wasn't always that way. And, you know, we've all worked with people, especially in restaurants who just um, sort of default to this, this way of being, and you, you go to work and then you, you go to the bar after work and you spend the next 45 minutes or four hours complaining about every, every bad guest and every, everything that your boss did that you would have done differently. That, that where, where is that going to get you? Um, and, and really, if you're, if you're filling your mind with those thoughts, it's, it has consequences. It's going to manifest in, in a lot of, in a lot of ways that maybe you're not aware of, but, um,
0: yeah. Yeah. Great, great pro tip there. Um, Yoni.
2: That's very professional. Jeffrey, uh, quite the tip one that (laughs) pretty much echoes my own. I mean, it can't, you can't steal my, tip. I'm, I'm stealing your tip. Uh, no, it's – I mean, this has been an incredibly hard year for just about everybody. Um, you know, the, the saying, everyone is in the same boat, while that's kind of true in some ways, not so true in others, uh, you know, for the majority of people, everyone is is struggling in, in one way or another right now. And being conscious of, of what what you do have is – the easiest way to ground yourself when I think things are getting really dark. And, you know, it's, it's difficult for me to, as a, a person who tries to be very positive, it's, it's hard for me to even find a positive in some of this right off the bat. I mean, you have businesses that are closing, um, people losing their houses I mean, almost all of us on our team lost jobs at one point. And, like Jeff was saying earlier, you know, it's it is a way for, you know, people. I think a lot of people can look at inactivity as this, uh, as a negative, as a, a way for them to become more stagnant and not move forward in their lives. Uh, I think, if anything, this has just been a year of being able to look inwards, and you're kind of afforded that time right now. If anything, it's not the in the best manner, but if there's anything that a lot of people have right now, it's time. And, you know, that time can be spent doing lots of things that can help you out, whether that's just brainstorming, um, using your, using your brain, you know, tenacity goes a long way, especially in New York. You know, everyone told me when I was moving here, it's going to be a grind when you get here. And, you know, that's what you have to kind of go in wanting to do, but all, all these negatives and, you know, I can't think of one time in my life where I've, I haven't lost something extremely important to me that I haven't come out on the other side, uh, a better person for it. Um, and I, I think moving in that direction and trying to consciously find those silver linings, even if there isn't, even if you can't see them and you don't think they're even there, you know, you have to. And and like Jeff said, if I would look back a couple of years ago and, and see a snapshot of myself right now in New York with my own restaurant, working with Jeff and TJ, and and my girlfriend and and Jeff's girl, I, I could have just stopped right there and, and you know <laughs> been happy. To, that, that's it. That's all I needed. Um, and here I am. And it, and it's very easy to be to get into a dark place sometimes. But having that that conscious mind of just realizing you don't need a lot. You just need some good people around you and focusing on keeping good people around you will you, you can't fail you know, no matter how how small the team is um you can't do it alone uh so yeah hold on hold on to those people around you that that make you a better person that's the best tip i could possibly give someone i
0: think so you guys both work with your girlfriends
2: we do yes
0: so listen this is like my husband and i we're both <laughs> yeah. co-owners like listen we're building the team and you can't get rid of it. I mean, we're we're married. Like it's it's right. dope when you can find partners that you actually can work with.
2: Absolutely. Uh Liz Liz and I worked um, we actually met in the industry at the same restaurant, same where Jeff and I met, uh also the same with Shay. We were doing pop ups in Texas and traveling all around doing pop ups and um yeah, when you when you have the right person it's, it makes things a lot easier.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, Yoni, where can people follow your restaurant?
2: So you can follow us on Instagram, it is going to be our best place to kind of follow along. It's Rosella Sushi on Instagram. You can also find us on our website, rosellanyc.com, where you can uh, make reservations, see our menu, kind of read a little bit about what we're doing,
1: about the I team, we, and whatnot. We just lost, our, I think we just lost our parlor account, right? <laughs> <laughs> um amazon huh <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh yeah those are those are the two places uh we also kind of have some personal instagram accounts for some more behind the scenes stuff if people are interested in kind of seeing some of the prep and shout them uh, out uh mine is the yon wolf uh, or young dot wolf i believe jeffrey peffery his instagram account is mostly Pictures of squirrels in Tompkins Square Park. So
1: (laughs) it's more artistic. Whatever you're in the mood for.
0: (laughs) Squirrels got to eat too.
1: Man, they're the best. They do. They eat so well down here, man. (laughs) They do. Fat fat squirrels.
0: (laughs) Well, that was was
1: almost, wasn't wasn't that going to be our. you, Yoni was thrown out of that name for a restaurant for a while. The Fat yeah.
2: Squirrel? The Fat Squirrel, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe Squirrel Sashimi doesn't sound uh, too enticing to some people, though. Uh.
0: <laughs> I mean, I dined at the Fat Duck. If I can go there and go yeah, to the Fat that's, Squirrel. That's it, yeah. It's a great
2: We're spot. Def- definitely at the same level. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, uh, for having us there. Uh, thank you both.
0: Time. Thanks, guys. Well, thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Have You Eaten Yet? wherever you get your podcasts.